Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everybody. 2023, we want to have some uh, like a wide range of different guests. We want to have guests that we know that are friends of the podcast. We want to have uh, big celebrities, but also we want to have people come on the podcast who are making a difference. Um, today's episode, we have Dale Vince. Dale Vince is the chairman of Forest Green Rovers. Um, he's an entrepreneur. He's a uh, British ind- industrialist. Um, the man makes diamonds from thin air. Uh, if you don't know who Dale is, um, do not fear. This is one of the most fascinating episodes you're going to listen to. Um, Dale, uh, ever since the 70s, has been an activist to try and make the world a better place. That's his aim. That's his mission. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make change wherever he goes. And he suddenly came on the podcast today and spoke to us about making change in different areas. Um, Forest Green Rovers, a football team in League One, is the first green football team in the entire world. They have sustainable kit. They try and uh, encourage to have vegan darts for their players. Their pitch doesn't use pesticides. They're trying to build a wooden stadium. I mean, the list goes on and on. It is unbelievably fascinating, and we're pretty lucky to have him on today. It's really inspirational. Also, what's really exciting, maybe before we start the podcast, is Candy Kittens, my confectionery business. We are sponsoring Forest Green Rovers with one of their sponsors. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. We're a B Corp. Uh, they're about being green. We are aligning ourselves together. It's going to be unbelievable. Match made in heaven. 100%. Here we go. You ready for this? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's rev up the engines. Not the electric fuel, ones. Not, yeah, electric engines. Let's rev up those propellers. Not necessarily one. They don't make a noise. That's why I didn't make a noise. Hey, That's hey, why I didn't make a on, noise. You're ready for this podcast, aren't you? All right, everybody. Uh, here's Delvin's on the podcast. Dale, uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, I think before we, we start, it, it, this is kind of a hard thing to do, but it, how would you introduce yourself? Or if you were landing on a plane and you know you have to um, write what your occupation is, what would you write? I thought you were going to say landing on a planet. <laughs> yeah, when you land on a planet. I was landing on a plane, the first thing I'd do is probably say sorry. <laughs> it's um, true, actually. It's true. That was a way, that was a bad way to pitch it. Okay, but <laughs> if you arrived on a raft, what? <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of describe myself as a number of ways, really. I mean, fundamentally, I'm an environmentalist. Sometimes for fun, I like to say I put the mental into environmental. Oh, that's a good one. But why do you put the mental into environmental? Uh, well, I, I say it because of all the things that I've done, really. They're kind of 
quite an eclectic range of things, a whole bunch of firsts, all in pursuit of the same thing, which is sustainability. You know, it's through energy, through transport, food, and most recently making diamonds from thin air, um, uh, all with the same kind of joined up ambition. And, uh, and, I, and I have fun when I do it as well. Can, can I, where did this all begin? Because, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on you and um, it kind of blows my mind what you've done. And uh, my business partner who wanted to be today, here today to listen to this, we were trying to figure out, you were you were doing all of this, you know, focusing on making the planet a better place before anyone was really, really thinking about it properly. Where did that come from? Yeah, it's an interesting question. <clears throat> I guess if you go back far enough, my first environment concern thought uh, was as a kid and I was still at school. I might have been 12 or 13 or something. And... Uh, I like to make things. I was like a, like a mad inventor kid that built things that were powered by batteries back in the day that used to run out. And they were quite expensive, but you had to throw them away. And that seemed like very wasteful. And I remember uh, looking at the cars that were on the road, knowing that they had roughly 10-gallon fuel tanks and thinking, how many are there? What does that all add up to? Where does it come from? And when's it going to run out? Because it has to run out. And nobody was talking about it. That would have been in the 70s. And then I spent 10 years on the road, which was the 80s. And then I dropped back in in the 90s at the start and um, became aware that the biggest single cause of climate change and, in, in effect, unsustainability in our country was the way that we made electricity by burning fossil fuels. And so I thought I'd drop back in. I was using a small windmill to power my life. Uh, I thought I'd drop back in and try and change the way electricity was made in Britain to tackle the biggest single source of climate emissions. And uh, that's it in a nutshell. In the 70s, to, to start doing that as a kid, that's pretty unique. I would say normally you're you're either worrying about who you're kissing or getting drunk or what. That's what I was doing. Well, you're probably doing the same, weren't you? What in the seventies? <laughs> yeah, in the seventies, <laughs> oh, you were yeah. doing the same thing. Okay, but <laughs> but, that, but that's simply what happens, right? But your your brain was other places. It was inventing things. Yeah, and I cared. I just cared inherently about unsustainability and waste. It seemed wrong mm. to me. It seemed just fundamentally wrong to be throwing stuff away, burning stuff. Uh, without a thought about what was going to happen when things ran out, you know, and so having renewable or sustainable versions of everything seems natural to me. And I started in energy as the first um, biggest cause of climate emissions in our country. And in the early 2000s, went looking for the second and third because I figured there had to be second and third. Found that it was transport and food in that order. Mm. And that the three things together, energy, transport and food, is 80% of everybody's carbon footprint. And that made a lot of sense to me as a message to be able to say to people, look, it looks complicated. You feel disempowered. You don't know what to do. There's lots of competing <coughs> advice. But actually, all you have to do is look at how you power your home, how you travel and what you eat. And the money that you spend every day has far more influence than you think. Did, did you have a, a background in this? Did you school in any of it? Was it kind of instinctive? Yeah, no, I think it's in instinctive. I left school aged 15 and, um, you know, I'm qualified in not very much other than by doing stuff. Mm. <laughs> that's, I, I mean, that's what it's all about, really. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. yeah. I, get, get it done. Don't build a windmill. I always say, one of my friends says it to me, but I totally agree. I, I, I always say that I'm unemployable. Yeah, for, for, for yeah. sure, right? A hundred percent. And maybe yeah. you were exactly the same. I think I am unemployable. Probably. That's for various offences, though, Jay. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not because of your skills. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had a, I had an interesting quote um, the other day that someone said. Um, 
never never as a generation have we wanted so much but needed so little mm. and and it's so true right the problem that we have at the moment is there is just so much stuff especially with like what amazon is doing with that slide thing and that slide where you can click straight away and buy something it, it's terrible mm. isn't it so yeah. but 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 dale what what you you're some would say that what you're fighting is an uphill battle that's that is impossible to win what would you what would you say about that i would say um if you said that in the 90s or the 80s or even the 70s that would ring more true or whoever says it it's not you saying it some somebody i said, said it, it i said it in the 70s again <laughs> <laughs> it was me in the 70s but today today I, I would disagree i would say yeah maybe we're still going up the hill but we're a long way up the hill right look at the rise of veganism in the last three years it's been phenomenal and and there, there's a there's a positive feedback loop there. Uh, mm -hmm. Greg's is a great example. They put out one vegan sausage roll. It was so popular with people that now they have a vegan range, mm -hmm. uh, and you can see all of the cafes, uh, supermarkets. Everybody's got a vegan range. It's just been like a phenomenal snowball. I think politicians of all parties now talk about the climate crisis and how we have to do something about it. They aren't doing enough, but they are talking about yeah. it. Businesses everywhere are on the green agenda. Sometimes it's greenwash. Sometimes it's not. But they're, they're on the agenda, um, even in sport now as well. So I would say we may be still on the upward slope. Mm. I, think I think we're reaching the summit. There's, there has been a dramatic shift in, in people's mentalities. And, and I think that fundamentally comes from this in, instinctive kind of feeling that you had. I think we all, we all feel it. I think we've been led kind of astray by some slightly nefarious powers. <laughs> and what, what I've noticed as well is, annoyingly, those powers have kind of clocked onto that mm. fact. And they, 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 they notice this shift and they go... Maybe we can harness this somehow. <laughs> well, it's, it's called greenwashing. It's called greenwashing, greenwashing yeah. that's yeah. what it's called, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, people often say to me, oh, like this greenwashing going on is a bad thing. And, you know, I always say the same thing. I try not to repeat myself, but I always say the same thing about this. It's actually not a bad thing because it's recognition that this green agenda is important. So yeah. go back 10 years, they didn't give a shit. They didn't even need to. No, yeah. now they need to do something about it, whether it's pretend or not. They, they have to do something. The next step, they'll be doing something real. But okay, Yeah, it's a proper marker of, of progress because they're having to, to yeah. emulate, yeah. But bring me back to when you were 15 years old. You're 15 years old, you leave school. What are you going to do? Um, well, I had a motorbike, so I like to like ride around on that. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I figured the best way to find out was try a lot of different things so that I... Um, I knew what I didn't want to do. So what was the first thing you did when you left? Um, just bombed around on my bike, hang out with a you know, group of bikers in uh, Golston, which is near where I lived. And um, yeah, and eventually I hit the road because I didn't enjoy living in towns very much, uh, which is a hard thing to do without any money, right? Yeah. Um, mm. And I figured that uh, if I got an old van and uh, lived in it, then I could free myself from uh, utility bills and rents and all of the wow. trappings that, that force you to have a job. I didn't want to be forced to have a job. What it, what is it like feeling that liberal, like being that free and just and knowing that you're not? Because um, I think a lot of us, right, especially now in the current climate, I feel that like a lot of individuals feel pretty trapped. Mm. You know, I, I I saw this crazy statistic in America that something like thirteen percent, one three percent of Americans love their job, uh, sixty odd percent doing something called sleepworking where they're just doing it, mm. and then there's something like thirty percent or whatever it is who are uh, uh, depressed or anxious going to work. It's like, like one hundred twenty you know, 120 million Americans or whatever who are depressed or anxious and having a negative impact on the business. We get stuck into this sort of um, yeah. situation, but you rejected all of that and said, I'm just going to go and live this free life. See, I saw that as a kid and it bothered me. <clears throat> I saw the people around me didn't like the jobs they were doing. 
Um, and I thought that that that's crazy. Why why are people in jobs that they don't enjoy that make them unhappy? And why do people work all of their lives just so they can retire and have time to themselves at the end of their lives? That's crazy too. And I thought better have the time now, do what you want. I've been in school all the life that I could remember, which felt like a prison camp to me. Felt like my time had been taken from me and I wanted it back when I got it back. Then I wasn't going to give it up easy. It, wow. is, it is a form of insanity almost, isn't it? it? You can only see it when you kind of step away from it and you go, why the fuck have we been doing this? This is mental. Absolutely mental. Yeah, but 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 there's also a, a form of control, right? Like there, there has to be. Otherwise, if you, if you don't have that sense of control... In life, then there's chaos. The opposite to as control in, is as chaos. In control for the individual, or I think so. Yeah, I think I think there there has to be some sort of control somewhere, right? Otherwise, then you just have chaos. I think I think people have been commodified. Um, you know, we're we're all not all of us, but most of us are a cannon fodder for big organisations. You know, particularly people on zero hours contracts. People work for Amazon, for example, just cannon fodder for the machine that's making money for shareholders and owners and avoiding tax. By the way, in the case of Amazon in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's just maybe a symptom of a highly industrialized uh, society that we live in and the way that uh, the people that have been shaping it for a few decades now, uh, you know, with, with rules and regulations and that kind of stuff, have, have made it be. It's not the only model. It's not the only model in the world. You can see that if you go looking. You know, there mm. are different ways to live. We just live in, um, in a bit of a kind of uh, industrial beehive. I guess it's quite a good way of looking at it. It's just been the most successful, I guess, in in GDP commas. terms, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what the, mo- the, unsu- <laughs> the most unsuccessful. I was I was listening to something. I think it was last night uh, on the way back um, to the UK. I can't remember who the hell it was. He was talking about dolphins. Um, you oh, were flying maybe. private jet again, weren't you? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also <laughs> cold. Yeah, 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 I was yeah. chucking some barrels of oil out the back as uh, as we flew over the Atlantic. It was just uh, a pastime line. I love it. Um, no, I was flying EasyJet back from Spain, um, but. Uh, they're talking about how I think maybe was it dolphins or sperm or something about how they they kind of they're so harmonic with with their environment and they use like sonar they use the Mariana Trench or Mariana or Marinara what's it? that's pasta isn't it? They, yeah, they, it's a pizza isn't it? Yeah, I think it's, it's a sauce. Either way, <laughs> either way, it's delicious. But they they use the trench to to send um, uh, waves, sound waves like across the planet, so wow. they, they can communicate with each other, and they just have this like, completely harmonious relationship with their environment and. When you look at humans, the way we do, we're so unharmonious. We, yeah. we try and go against nature. We build skyscrapers. We do all these things. We dig up the earth. And I think like the, the metric of how successful a civilization is should be kind of measured on how good a shepherd you are, how good you are as kind of like looking after the, the environment that you're in and what state you leave it in rather than how much you can kind of build skyscrapers and sort of... And how much you can earn. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Happiness must, you know, ought, ought to be a measure, not just, not just wealth. Mm. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that coming back to your point earlier that, you know, we're a generation that have never had so much and needed so little or whichever way around it is. Mm. Um, I've often thought for the last couple of decades, we've reached this kind of uh, place where we, ha- we have just an abundance of everything. Everything is super cheap. It made everything uh, disposable. So we threw a lot of stuff away. You know, single use plastics came out of the fact that fossil fuels were so cheap. Plastic was so cheap. And um, I think it's like a drunken party. Right, that we've been living for a couple of decades, careless and reckless about the, the mm. you know, the place we're living in. And we wake up for that one morning, you know, with a mighty hangover and go, Fuck, who did that to the place? That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And and, and it's the people who aren't drinking, it's the, the younger generation who are going, Look what you've done to us, and now we're mm. gonna have to be the ones to clear it up. Mm. The the big question though is it and look, it's a hard one to to answer, but in in your opinion, 
uh, are we too late to change things around? No. We're not. See, it was easy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> just All right, we can wrap up there. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 5,000 times 362. Go. Yeah. But, but, but why? But why? Because there's a lot of arguments says it is, and there's arguments says it's not. Why is it not too late, in your opinion? Uh, I think it's 191,000. No, it can't be. <laughs> That would have been so impressive. That would have been brilliant, yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Uh, why is it not too late? Well, because um, we have all the technology that we need, right? The big three issues are energy, transport, and food. In energy, we've got all the technology we need. We don't even need to put public money into it, but there's enough wind and sun in Britain to power the whole country. And within 10 years, if we got after it, we could be 100% green-powered, energy-independent, that kind of stuff. Um, there's enough grass in the country that we can make enough gas to replace fossil fuel gas in the grid as well. And again, within about 10 years, we could get to that place. So we can make all the energy we need from a source that will never run out, which is an incredible proposition. Mm. Uh, in transport, electric cars have come you know, to the fore in the last few years, like incredibly they're taking over the roads. There's no doubt about that. And they're far superior to the petrol car. Electric buses are on the roads now. HGVs are coming out of R&D. And electric planes will be in the sky within 12 to 18 months. Get out of here. Really? Really? So again, we have everything electric, we need. Electric planes? They're, they're only that big. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, 12-seater passenger carrying electric planes next 12 to 18 months. Really? Uh, 18 months, yeah. What? And 80-seaters a year later. Amazing. Yeah. How do you know that? Because uh, we're launching a zero carbon airline in a couple of weeks' time, but then you would know it. <laughs> yeah, but, but that is insane. Yeah, madness. That is mad. What's it run on? It's just, it's just like hydrogen. Hydrogen. Explain, explain that to me. And if I'm being naive, explain that. Uh, so uh, the first planes will have propellers, like uh, propeller engines have yeah. now, uh, but they'll be electric motor driven, and the plane will carry hydrogen, which is fed into a fuel cell which converts it to electricity without burning it. So no, no emissions, mm. just water. So there it is. So in energy and transport, we have everything we need. We just have to change the rules of the game, our economy, to uh, make the old way of doing things less favorable than the new way. It's all about taxes and subsidies and regulations. In food, we have everything we need. We can just live plant-based. <clears throat> if the whole of Britain went plant-based, we'd free up 75% of all farmland in Britain, which is half of our entire country, which we can give back to nature, which will arrest the massive decline in nature in our country. Mm. We'll live longer, happier, healthier lives being plant-based than uh, animal-based. Obviously, it's better for the animals as well. And it's cheaper. Well, okay, so much to unpack here. That is, so, so, okay, how long have you been plant-based art for? 40 years. 
Okay, and uh, I don't want to ask your age, but because you must be 42, <laughs> that means. <so. laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you obviously ate meat before that. There was a turning point when you changed. Uh, what happened to your diet and your health once you changed? Uh, so I had an uneasy relationship with it as a kid. And, uh, you know, back in the 60s, this was, or even earlier, it was, uh, you know, culturally, it was just the thing that was done, you know. And so, you know, if you'd ask questions, which I would do, about what it was I was eating, then it was something that um, provoked anger. Uh, but I felt it was like wrong um morally to be eating these creatures uh i felt physically disgusted by what was in my mouth and the idea of swallowing bits of their body and stuff like that so it never sat right with me and when i left home uh, age 17 or 18 that was it i never ate meat again so it was simple uh when i was uh, when i was in charge but there's not much choice when you're that age, you know, back in the 60s, whatever yeah, it is. I think I lived on chips and beans, you know. <laughs> That's a healthy diet. <laughs> I love chips and beans. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually delicious. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's really what you did because yours, yours was all a, a, a moral thing where you were just, I just don't, I don't understand why this flesh should be in my mouth. I don't, I don't get it. It, it. Seemed, seemed wrong to me. Also, it seemed to me that you're, you're eating the whole animal. You're eating all of its hormones, all of its illnesses, everything, and you're taking them inside you. It's the most intimate thing you can do with something that is not actually completely clean or safe i've never even thought of it that way and it's worse now with industrial farming because they're pumped full of artificial stuff including antibiotics uh, they're yeah. pumped full of it they're, 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 uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine <laughs> once said to me she was um she was vegetarian and she said the reason i don't eat any animals is because you're eating the animal's trauma once they've died mm. and and when you when an animal's killed they they have this trauma it's in the meat and you're eating that yeah well there's some truth in that because there's definitely a lot of uh, uh what's it called the fight or flight hormone mm. Mm. the anxiety bit a adrenaline adrenaline released at the point of slaughter because slaughterhouses are the most awful places i've seen plenty of films on that you know the way they treat those creatures is just incredible just just diabolical yeah, it's awful i think i think energetically as well it depends how sort of spiritual you are but there's bad energy in that yeah there, and, there is. and you're gonna then take that on right yeah we um, we slaughter a billion animals a year in britain one billion can't be that much it's one billion globally it's one, 80 billion 80 80 it's mad it's just um it's insane and it's all come about since the end of the second world war when farming became industrial and we've started to grow animals indoors to make them super cheap. Mm. Most of the plants we grow, we feed to animals instead of feeding to humans, and we get diminishing returns of up to 10 to 1. So with a cow, you can put 10 kilos of good plant protein in and get one kilo of beef out. And that's why, if we all went plant-based, we could free up so much land. Mm. Okay, so, so, so if, how, I, okay, the arguments there, I see it totally, right? So we, 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 we free up all this land and everyone goes plant-based. How do we persuade everyone to start going plant-based? Farmers are out of work because then there's a real problem with that. So then, you know, that's generational, you know, um, family, you know, where families who have this sort of generational side of working on farms and doing all the kind of farming who would argue like severely against it. What happens to these guys? Yeah, I got an answer for that. <laughs> Twenty thousand, and <laughs> but but I suppose what the answer is is that you know in any in any battle there's always um, casualties, and perhaps that has to be one of the casualties, right? I see it as a transition, right? So in the oil and gas sector in yeah. the North Sea, for example, all of those engineers and people that work in that sector can work in the renewable energy sector. So it's a transition from oil and gas into renewable energy, the wind and the sun, tidal, that kind of stuff. Farming also has to transition away from animal agriculture into plant agriculture. And at the moment, most of the plants we grow are fed to animals. But if, um, if we take grass, for example, we grow a lot of grass to feed our animals that never see daylight. They live in a shed for their short, horrific lives uh, and are then killed. Excuse me. 
that was, that was we, a plan. <laughs> we did say you can do anything. That yeah, was, yeah, that yeah. was a plan based. That was a plan based. There we go, man. I need to smell some chicken. Yeah, some bacon over here. It went that way. It went that way. Come on. So, take grass for example. We grow a hundred million tons of grass a year in our country to feed to animals in this diminishing return outcome thing that I described earlier. We're just building a project in Reading uh, right now called a gas mill, and it turns grass into gas. And next month, it will inject grass gas into the grid for the first time, which wow. would be an amazing thing. But what we're finding, we're buying the grass from farmers instead of them using it to grow animals. They're, they're selling it to us. It's better for farmers. They get a better price, more security, because animal agriculture is a super marginal business. It only exists with massive subsidies. Yeah. So part of the answer to what you're saying also links back to what I said about uh, changing the rules of the game. We put two billion a year into animal agriculture to make meat artificially cheap. We should stop doing that and offer farmers an alternative, grow grass to make gas. We're working on a new project that kicks off in March to make protein from grass. So we think we can take the protein out and then make gas with the grass that we have in our country. We think we can be independent for gas and for protein. On the 100 million tons of grass that we grow or from it, we can make, we think, twice as much protein as we currently eat from animals. Twice oh, as much. Wow. But you're asking people to change habit. That's the hardest thing in the world. No, I don't think that it is. I mean, you're right and you're wrong. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it can be really hard. And yet when people give it a go, like our experience through football, for example, you just got to get them to give it a go. And once they start to feel the, the benefit of that and, and the, the myths and things drop away, they're on the path. We just got to get people on the path. Yeah. Uh, Meat-free days, meat-free Mondays is a good way to do that, for example. Just getting people to try a vegan alternative a couple of days a week, you know, and we get them rolling down the path. I don't think it's the end of the world. Farmers, definitely no problem. They'll give up animal agriculture. Really? Yeah, for sure. Why? 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 Because it's just, it's just it's low margin. It doesn't really work. It's, it's a difficult business, and it's yeah. just a business for them. You offer offer a farmer a, a better thing to do, and and they'll take it. It's not like they're wedded to the idea of abusing animals. Mm. Who could be? Let, let's talk about the, um, Forest Green Rovers because uh, you know you, you when you turn seventeen or turn fifteen and you get on your motorbike and you and you leave and you go and do that. Um, you, you you want this like life full of like being free and all those kind of things. And then you, what you do now is that you have so many things going on. It feels like a, like a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it's true. It bothers me sometimes. Uh, and yet I kind of, I stay at it because I love what I do. Because I have the chance to make change now uh, in a way and on a scale that I never had when I was simply myself uh, free on the road. You know, I, I can have ideas and think things should be done like this or should be done like that. And really dropping back in in the 90s was about saying, look, we've all sat around campfires talking about what they should do. How about dropping back in and being the they and doing something? And mm. the chance I have now to make a change is, is really, uh, to me, phenomenal compared to where I've been. And so uh, that keeps me here. It's, how did that happen? So you get a call from Forest Green Rovers and they're like, we want you to be chairman of our football <laughs> yeah. team. It's insane. A League One football team and then you're, you're chairman of it. And, it, and I want to shout this out because it's the most incredible thing. You're the first green football team in the world. Yeah. Which <clears> means, and, and I, I'm just, your, your kid is sustainable. You try and encourage a vegan diet. You don't use pesticide on any of the grass. Uh, what else is there? Oh, that's a long story, this one. Okay, so, go. we got plenty of time. You right, go for it. Okay. Right, we can do a separate episode if you want. Okay, done. In. So <laughs> I'll start at the beginning. Uh, Forest Green Rivers did call me up uh, in the summer of 2010, but I'd read in the local newspaper because they existed still back then that they were in financial trouble on the verge of relegation and stuff like this. They weren't in League One. They were in non-league. Um, 
two levels lower than where we are now. And they said, we need a bit of cash to get through the summer. And that was like uh, stepping into quicksand when I said yes. And by the end of the (laughs) summer, they were like, "Ah, you need to be the chairman because or take control or something like that. Because, uh, you know, if you don't, the club will fail. And it was a 120 year old club, big part of this local community in my backyard. And I thought, how hard can it be? Right. What? And I didn't think about it beyond that. And on day one, I discovered we were serving uh, beef lasagna to our players. And so I'd, I was horrified, made me part of the meat trade. I said, we have to stop that. That stopped on day one. Mm-hmm. And so we began this journey to veganism over two or three seasons. And um, <clears throat> for the next couple of weeks, I just bumped into stuff that I had to change. And then I quickly realized that I'd, I would need to make so much change that in effect, I would be building a green football club. Right. talking to an audience that stereotypically wouldn't be receptive to the message yeah that made it more appealing uh, more worthwhile right because it's more difficult and uh, so we just stuck at the journey and so now we're in a place where fifa have called us the greenest football club in the world uh, the united nations have certified us as the first carbon neutral sports um body club in the world mm. and uh, we have an organic football pitch vegan menu for our staff players and fans uh, electric vehicles um, we catch water from under the pitch and put it back on we have uh, a wildlife border around the club with slow worms and wild orchids and stuff like that um, we did the energy transport food thing we also took out single-use plastics wow. um, right now we're, we're using co2 captured from the atmosphere to drive the beer pumps no way. What? Yeah, madness. So this sounds what? a bit like, like the sperm whales. You guys have got a bit of a harmonious... Uh, <laughs> Wait, how, how does that work? Well, we capture CO2 as part of our diamond uh, operation. And a few months ago, you might have noticed... Are you, there was are a, you like Willy Wonka of the... Literally just making stuff up. <laughs> yeah, making stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> I was riding a dolphin <laughs> and uh, I thought... <laughs> Well, when, whenever I told anybody that was what I was going to do, they would think, well, he's lost it now. Yeah, because <clears throat> yeah, that would have happened. Sorry to tangent just really quick. That's what would have happened. There are people throughout life that he said, no, this is what we've got to do. And he said, you're mad, you're mad, you're mad. But it's And it's quite hard to fight against that a lot of the time. And you must have done that for decades. Yeah, I think it's my pleasure to fight against that, actually. I think I'm, I'm just wired that way. So show me a red flag and I'm there. Really? Yeah, absolutely. So... um. A few months ago, the cost of CO2 went through the roof. I don't know if you noticed. And like slaughterhouses were like, oh my God, we can't afford to kill animals. Um, they killed them a different way instead on the farm. It was a bit weird. How um, do they kill them? I don't know, with guns, I think. Uh, instead of, I mean, the, the media reports this in a bad way, like as if they're estate agents. They talk about CO2 being used to stun animals um, before slaughter. CO2 is used to suffocate animals. The chickens, for example, are lowered in a cage into a chamber that's full of CO2. It's a gas chamber, literally. And they scream as they suffocate. All right, all chicken lovers out there, listen to this story. Anyway, CO2 became horrendously expensive because of the energy crisis, because it's a byproduct of making fertilizer. And uh, we figured, well, we've got some CO2. We knew we used it at the football club to drive beer pumps. Wouldn't it be neat if we created a cycle of CO2, Mm. grab it from the atmosphere, drive a few pints, and then it gets released? How do you you grab it? Uh, We have a machine that does that. How expensive is the machine? Oh, you know, I think it's like 150 grand, something like that. What? It was more, the first one. We're just, we're just installing our second one. We've worn the first one out. Oh, my God. Okay, okay. Is, is this novel technology? Did you guys come up with this or no. is it kind of existing? I mean, yes and no. It is novel um, and it, we didn't come up with it and in, therefore it is existing. And it's kind of like um, it's a developing arm of, I would say, uh, you know, technology. Direct air capture is called mm. um, and it's at the heart of our diamond making process and now our beer pump driving 
um, process at the football club. Have you got two ends of the spectrum? Maybe you've got <laughs> beer pumping and diamonds. And, <laughs> and you know, it, and it's good to have a laugh, right? We like yeah. to say whether we're talking uh, cars, burgers, or football because uh, we've done all of those, or diamonds, which we're doing now, right? We don't have to give up the things we like to have to, to get to net zero. We don't have to live a life which is about, um, you know, a lower standard of living and, and not having fun. We just need to find a different way to do things, a another way, which is like uh, the philosophy at the heart of our club. It's the, it's the name of the road that we sit on, another way. And, um, you know, this is, what we, this is what we're about, finding another way to do everything. All right, we're going to take a pause there, guys. That's the end of part one. Come back for part two, where we continue with the fascinating Dale Vince.